Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics, right here on Blog Talk Radio. and welcome to Mount Olympus. I am Hercules Invictus. My Olympian mission is to promote lifelong personal development, human empowerment, out-of-the-box thinking, creative self-expression, and a dedication of one's unique talents to community service. All of my labors in this lifetime celebrate the hero's journey in myth, legend, spirituality, popular culture, and in daily life. I firmly believe that the human spirit is essentially heroic and always seeking ways to express its innate nobility and greatness, and that a life fully lived, dedicated to actualizing the highest we can conceive, is the noblest expression of human existence. Today on Creativity Unbound, I bring you a living legend, Donald F. Glute. Donald has been professionally active in both the entertainment and publishing business since 1966. He's been a musician, an actor, a film director, executive producer, photographer, magazine editor, proofreader, and copywriter. He's mostly known, though, for his long career as a freelance writer. He's authored approximately 80 fiction and nonfiction books, and that number is much higher, as we'll find out today. Also, motion picture scripts, TV scripts, comic book scripts, short stories, articles, music, and theater. Always busy, Donald currently executive produces, writes, and directs traditional-style horror movies featuring iconic monsters for his company, Picos Porn Productions, and writes horror comic scripts. He's also representative of a Las Vegas travel agency. I'm sorry, talent agency. Sorry about that. Greetings and welcome to Donald F. Clute. Greetings, Donald. How are you? I'm fine. Am I on? You can hear me okay? I can hear you great. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're fine. You're fine. Fantastic. Wow, what an impressive uh, resume. Pardon me? What an impressive resume. What, what am I? You're coming a little distorted. What was the? What am I? What for the resume? Your resume is very impressive. Oh, oh, thank you, thank you. Well, you know, uh, if it wasn't, I'd have to get a job and be working nine to five, you know, so that's the alternative. You write that on your Facebook page, and it's really awesome. Uh, yeah, and it's absolutely it's absolutely true. I mean, I, I'm not just trying to make a joke. I mean, that's absolutely true. I just never wanted to work in a regular place, you know, nine to five, five days a week, doing something I didn't particularly like to do, maybe working for somebody I didn't particularly like or respect, and do that for the rest of my life and then retire someday and sit around watching TV all day. You know, So I, I didn't want that kind of uh, existence. 
No, neither do I, neither do many uh, people. And I'm greatly honored to have you on the show because you've succeeded in creating a life for yourself where you don't have to do that. Well, I've always been a hustler. You know, I one of the um, great pieces of advice I got from a friend of uh, a friend of mine who's died some some dec- decades ago, named Ron Haydock, and Ron was like me. You know, he was a little older, about four years older than me. But he says, Don, no matter what you do, you gotta hustle. And I've always done that. I've always been a shameless self promoter. You know, I I right. network a lot. I try to meet as many people as I can, and if an opportunity comes in my way, I try to run with it and then parlay that into something bigger, something down the road a little bit. You know, so I've I've always been, uh, that's always been my attitude. A lot of people, you know, give up, you know, if things aren't going the way they'd like them to go, they give up too soon. And there might be a great career there, but they never know it. I've found that to be true also. And I've done many things in my life that, you know, people said, you did what? <laughs> but uh, yeah. that's, just don't give up. Don't accept no for an answer. Uh, just keep going. Know that your vision of what's going to happen might change on, on the uh, process of getting there. Um, what I do, I don't know what you do, but what I do is I always have notebooks. And I'll write stuff in notebooks. And that's helped me uh, progress in my opportunities. I, like I wanted to uh, have a TV show. And I had no idea mm-hmm. how to have a TV show, so I just wrote things in a notebook for years. And in the meanwhile, during the years, I got invited to be on other people's TV shows. Uh, I was a co-host on a TV show. Then the station was merging with another station, and they asked me, what would I do if I had my own TV show? And I had years' worth of writing things in a notebook. So I was able to pitch something, and voila, <laughs> within a couple of years of having the idea, I had my own TV show without going to school, without uh, uh, training in any particular way. So you're right. Most people give up early. Yeah, and, you know, you learn – you really learn by doing it. You really learn, you know, by getting some practical experience. I mean, in school, you mentioned school. In school, in my like, creative writing classes and things, I did terrible. I mean, I, 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 I mean, I was, I was awful. I got really low grades and things, you know. But I, I got to, um, I, I liked writing, you know. And, and after my musical career kind of ended. Uh, and I, you know, I, and, uh, when I was younger, I put out fanzines, and I was writing articles for fans, my fanzines that I published or other people published, and I just went back to that. And the and the early stuff I wrote, the stuff I thought was going to be professional, really was pretty pretty terrible. But the more I did it, you know, the more I wrote it, the more I I learned my craft, you know. And the, voila, lo and behold, one day I actually sold a couple things, and and uh-huh. and. That was it. I found that, too. I, I'm nowhere near as prolific as you, not even a fraction as prolific as you. But in the past couple of years, I've been published in 15 anthologies. And some of that stuff was older stuff that I, uh, you know, that I had written for fanzines or other things. And I polished them up a bit and I found that, hey, they're publishable. Uh, so uh, th- that was extremely awesome. And, and like your work, they weren't self-published. Well, you know, I did exactly the same thing once. Uh, I uh, I wanted to get another couple books out without doing a whole lot of work. So uh, I said, you know, there were two topics that I wrote a lot about in fanzines, monster movie magazines, uh, that sort of thing. One was dinosaurs, or prehistoric things. The other was uh, Frankenstein. So I, I got all those articles together, 
and I rewrote each one. I polished them up, made them more professional because some of them were written really a long, long time ago. So I, I so I wrote, I, I packaged one in a book called Jurassic Classics, and then I packaged <laughs> the other in the Frankenstein Archive, and both of those books were published by McFarland. So, um, you know, I, I'm of the belief that if you've done something of value, whether it's a piece of music or uh, uh, written a book or a comic, that those things should always always be available to somebody who wants to read them. Because when they came out, the people that are around now buying books and things, um, I, I have a cat sitting on top of me, so if you hear a meow every <laughs> once in a while, I apologize. But but he's very difficult. He's like a boomerang. You can't you want to send him on his way, he comes right back. So anyway, um, that if there's if they're of value, they should be out there and accessible to people, even though they were done 20, 30 years ago. And so I'm always figuring out uh, ways of bringing back old stuff. I have a publisher now called Strange Particle Press, and um, the publisher. Uh, is kind of an old fan of mine, and his uh-huh. of the, he really wants to have all of my stuff in print all the time. So oh, he's, uh, he is, yeah, he just published um, three of my novels. One was brand new. It was called Jawbreaker. It's a kind of an old pulp masked hero kind of a thing. And then another one called Bugged, another one called Spawn, and those are reprints. He's reprinting all my old books on television shows, on movie serials, uh, vampires and werewolves, and the only things he's not repu- republishing, reprinting, are um, my uh, like scholarly dinosaur books and things because they're you know those things go out of date so fast and yeah, they would be so expensive. And also you know there are a lot of uh, fees I have to pay museums and artists you know for using their illustrations and their photographs. So we're st- sticking away from the dinosaur books and um but everything else is fair game oh that is incredibly awesome and you are a legendary figure as i described you uh i know that you've uh, given me a lot of joy throughout my years with uh, uh your work on like conan and dagar uh and uh, of course i loved your new machiste is there anything happening with machiste uh, no, i was really, i was disappointed I, I i wrote two more machiste uh stories for the creeps uh, one was a sequel to the vampire one, I did, the Dracula one. I wanted to make, I, want, I wanted to get him back to status quo so he, he could continue as, as not a, a vampire anymore. And then I wrote another one where he's in the old west and he becomes a, sh- a sheriff hired to hunt down a, a werewolf that's been plaguing this oh, very cool Dodge City-like town, you know. But um, the uh, you know the publisher uh, Rich Sala and I. I kind of agree with him when I think about it. He didn't want to start another series. Like, remember Warren had all those series that yeah. came up? He had, he had, you know, The Goblin, and he had, uh, I forgot what, what some of them were, The Rook. And they, all, they were these recurring characters, and he didn't want to get into a situation like that. So I wrote uh, a sequel. I, I was given a um, cover painting. I, what's it by Boris? I forgot if it was by if it was who, who did the cover thing, but it, the cover came with a title, which was Dungeon of the Beast Man. So he said, "Can you write a story about based on this cover painting?" And I did, but I made it a machiste story, and and he changed it to um, he gave the character a different name, made him look different, and uh, took out any references 
to Machiste and his past adventures and that sort of thing. So that would would have been a Machiste story if um, if it had continued. But the story is still you know, it was the same story. It just was a different character there who was the hero. That, that's a shame. I loved your uh, Machiste meets uh, Dracula. I was looking forward to sequels, and a lot of people in the Sword and Sandal community uh, the same. They really loved what you did, and they were looking forward to more. Uh, so well, who what knows? they should have done? Yeah, what they should have done, and I, I asked everybody. I, I put this on. I said, if you like the story, it's something different. I'd like to do more. Please write into the letter column of the Creeps and say that you really like the story. We got almost no response on that story, and oh, um, so it didn't happen. You know, I but would it definitely. And I'll post that in the uh, Sword and Sandal groups. Uh, you know, basically, if people want to see more of Machiste, you write to the Creeps the editor, and I'll dig out the address, and this way I make it easier for people. Yeah, you know, I always liked that character of all those sword and sandal movies. I think I, I was most intrigued by that character the most because you never knew what where he was going to turn up. You know, right? He could turn up with Zorro. He could, you know, and um, there's one of them with, in, in prehistoric times. I think when she stayed versus the monsters or something, and um, it was cavemen and dinosaurs, you know. Yeah. So I, I, I've always, you know, been interested in that character more than any of the others. And, uh, you know, I wanted to give my take on it and maybe actually straighten out some of the continuity problems that cropped up in the movies, <laughs> you know. So uh, so anyway, but maybe it'll happen. If enough of them write letters, maybe they'll, they'll do it. There's still, I still have two stories that are written that haven't come out yet just sitting there. The werewolf one in the old west, and then the one where uh, he, you know, he becomes human again. So, um, anyway, uh, yeah, that would be great if people would just write in, but nobody did. Well, let's see if we could change that. Because <laughs> okay, that's a shame. Now, um, you've done barbarians uh, uh, in addition to strongmen heroes. You've done barbarians in the past. I remember uh, you were on Conan, and then Dagar, who was a very interesting barbarian. Yeah. Uh, right, and I, I, I did Call too. You did Call. Yeah, I did. I, I forgot how many issues. I did quite a few of them, though. I, the only thing I, the only connection I had with Conan was. Um, I did the plot. There was a, a Conan a- annual uh, that Roy Thomas wrote, but he didn't have a plot, or he was busy or something. So I came up with the plot for it. I can't remember what the story was, but it was one of those thick, you know, uh, annual issues. Uh, and then, uh, and then I was sort of when uh, when John Milius got the job to direct the first Conan movie. I was, you know, John and I go back a long way. We, we go back to USC. We're, you know, good friends. I was there at the uh, the office where, you know, the, the pre-production office, there's a production office, and uh, John asked me, he said, who do you think should play Conan? And I said, well, I think there's only two actors that can play Conan. But my first choice would be William Smith. I don't know. He played ended up playing Conan's father in the movie. But I thought okay. he was an a- and then later on, I actually ended up directing him twice, which is a big thrill for me. But I thought he would be the perfect Conan. And the second choice was Clint Walker, who played Cheyenne on, on the, the old television series. And, uh, and John said to me, he said, you know, I, I, I agree with you 100%, but Dino De Laurentiis wants Arnold. So you know, they went with Arnold. Arnold had the bigger name and everything. And um, I think he, had, he, was, he was some kind of a bodybuilding champion at the, at the yeah. time. 
Mr. Something or other and uh, and Mr. Universe or something. And so they went with – but I was I, – I think I planted the seed in John's mind to use William Smith in something in that movie. And then uh, Bill ended up playing Conan's father. Yeah, he was very impressed with his uh, Conan's father. That what? He was very impressive as Conan's father. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, he would have been really impressive as Conan, too. Um, and I thought he looked just like the the artwork in the comic books. Is this better with the sound? I upped the sound a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I, you're coming in a little bit distorted, so I'm, I, uh, you're not breaking up or anything, but um, I may have to ask you to repeat a couple of things. So I, I don't know what, you, uh, what did you just say. I just uh, heightened the volume a bit, and now I'm standing closer to the microphone. So maybe oh, that sounds better. Yeah, that sounds better. And then I did Call for a long time, and I did Dagar. So those are my – in fact, I just – I wrote – I don't know if it's out yet or not. I wrote a story for the Creeps magazine, or maybe it was Carmilla. I forget which. But it was called Sword and Sorcery. <laughs> and it, it combined a Sword and Sorcery Viking – uh, character with a uh, aliens, you know. So that uh, oh, awesome. That, that was that was another one that was based on a Frank Frazetta painting, and the painting had this barbarian type hero, this kind of Middle Eastern looking woman, uh, flying saucer. I, how do I? I got to come up with a story for that. So, so I just uh, looking at the painting, the title just popped into my head: Sword and Sorcery. So, so that's how that one came about. But that was my most recent. My recent, uh, mo- most recent story that's coming out. I think I actually wrote one after that, again based on another painting. And um, you know, I write so many of these things. It, it, it's going to sound silly, but they they all kind of run together after a while. And uh-huh. you know, I tried to. I actually this Dungeon of the Beast Man. I actually had to look up to see what the title was, and it only was out, out a few months ago. You know, I should have remembered it. <laughs> Do you set aside time each day to write? Uh, like, how's your writing process? Well, it, if I have something to write I, that I want to write, um, you know, I always tell people to try to write something every day. Uh, if I come up with an idea for a script or something, I'll sit down and I'll, I'll spend, you know, uh, time writing it. And it's a great way to um, fill up time during this this pandemic. You know, when yeah. you're sitting around with a routine, watching your favorite old television shows and things. One of mine is Highway Highway Patrol. I've become a <laughs> fan of Highway Patrol. But anyway, uh, if there's nothing to write, I find something else. To, like I work on one of my websites. I tinker around a little bit. Uh, I move things around. I add things. I take things out. So I'm always busy. Um, my lifestyle, except my you know social things, like going to parties and things, is pretty uh-huh. much the same as it, as it was. But I, I'm I'm really getting tired of the routines, you know. Like at this time of day, I do this, or this time of day, I like to have more of a freedom of more of a spontaneity, you know. That, that's very wise. And uh, again, you found a way to do it, just like you found a way not to have a regular nine to five uh, job where you're waiting for retirement. So that is all. That is incredibly awesome. Um, well, see, retirement, retirement to me. When you retire, when, you, when you're driving along the freeway and you get a flat, and then you call the AAA and they come, the auto club comes out and they retire for you. That's <laughs> retiring for me. 
there which you I've go. had to do several times. And how about your ideas? Where do your ideas uh, come from? Like, uh, for instance, I had Lloyd uh, Kaufman on my shows uh, early on uh, when we had shows in Pennsylvania. Uh, and he would clip things out of newspapers that were kind of like, uh, um, you know, like weird or different or strange uh, things that uh-huh. actually happened. And he kept a file. And every now and then he'd look through the file. And in the process, he'd get ideas for movies. And and there you go. Do you have a process also? Well, I have a – this is a strange process. I don't sit down and make notes or anything like that. I'll be sitting there watching TV or in a conversation with somebody or listening to the radio. And somebody will say something. And right away, my mind starts working. They'll give a phrase or something. I'll say, if I could change that around just a little bit, I could make a title out of that and build a story. Like, give an example. Um, well, Sword and Sorcery was an example when I when I just saw that painting. Or, um, you know, uh, years ago when Hillary Clinton said uh, the, the phrase, basket of deplorables, if you remember that. Well, I yeah. said, how about cask- casket of deplorables? <laughs> You know, and a whole story came out of that. So the way I usually work on these creep stories, I'll come up with a title that I think is kind of catchy, and um, then I'll say, well, what what kind of an end kind of surprise last panel can I come up with that will fit that title? Once I have those two things, the the next thing I have to think of is how the story is going to begin. Then I sit down, and once I know that, once I know the three things, the title, the end, and the first panel, I sit down at my computer, and I just start typing. And it comes out. It comes out to six pages. It, well, it's a matter it just, it just, I've gotten to such a knack to doing this that it's almost, I almost don't even have to think about it. You know, sometimes it'll come out with a, one, ex, one extra half a page. Well, I just cut something out, you know, before that, or I combine something. It always seems to work out. And the other way I do it, and when it, in terms of books, and I don't, I don't really want to write books anymore, but when I was writing books, it was, what book do I want to read? What book do I want to go out, buy, take out of the library and read, but nobody has written this book yet? And then I said, well, you know, if, if I wait for somebody else to to write the book it's probably gonna, might be the rest of my life or they're going to do an inferior job and i'm a kind of a i like to do make a, a complete thing out of it you know <laughs> i like to cover all my bases so i said uh the only way i'm going to get get to read this book is if i write it myself and then i write uh-huh. the book so, th- so oh, that's okay. another way i do it but um i get ideas from things all the time from street signs and uh, a news item you know or um you know, it's, I, I have no shortage of ideas. You know, sometimes Rich at the Creeps will call, will send me an email and say, "Hey, I, we, we need a we need a um, story involving zombies. We need it like in in two weeks. Can you do it? And in three days, he's got the story." Oh, you know, great! So, so I, I I think when I push into a corner, you know, and somebody says you you need to come up with this really fast. And there's that that fact, that stress factor, that deadline factor. I just come up with things, you know. It, it, you know, I think we're all we are all blessed with certain talents that we're born with, mm-hmm. and no matter what they happen to be, uh, music, mathematics, uh, you name it, those things are easy for you. If, if I mean, there are certain things that are really difficult for me. Um, but other things are really easy. There are probably things that are easy for you that right. would be difficult for me. 
you know, and those are, you know, called talents. And um, unfortunately, a lot of people don't understand that they can take those talents and make a day job out of it. You know, they look at them as hobbies and things, or they, they don't develop them, develop them they, they don't hone them. You know, it could be athletics. It could be all, all sorts of things, be an acting ability or you name it. You're very right. And uh, um, how would you encourage people to, like, locate uh, their talents? Uh, and, well, uh, it, it, I, think it's, I think it's something that you just, when you're a kid, you just naturally do. You know, what are you doing that the other kids aren't doing necessarily? You know, and maybe some of those kids don't have any talent at all except to, um, you know, I don't know, play video games or something. I mean, when I was a kid, it was, you know, play baseball in the street you know, or things, things like that. But when I was a kid, I could do things that the other kids couldn't do. I was in school, the creative classes I took, you know, we had like an art teacher who would come in. I mean, I'm talking about grammar school. Um, I was in the music, I was in the school band and all that. Those things came real easy to me, and I got good grades in those things. Well, the other kids were really struggling, and some of them were just actually clueless. But to me, it was like, you know, you almost had to dumb yourself down so you didn't, so you wouldn't stand out among your peer group. You know, look like you're a show off or something. And uh, I think I think those things just naturally come out. Kids do what they like to do. And uh, the thing is, you got to once you realize what those things are, and you realize that someday you can make your living doing this, and you actually get paid for them. It's like playing and getting paid for it. And I don't have any hobbies because all my hobbies I turn into professions and businesses and things that is great do you have a mentor somebody who inspired you and helped uh, guide you when you were starting out when i was starting out i had um i think three people uh one was ron haydock and uh, one was jim Harmon, who was a professional writer mostly wrote science fiction and books about old-time radio shows and things and of course, Bob Burns, you know, who uh, taught me a lot about filmmaking and editing and things before I ever went to film school. So I think those are the three people that really took me under their wing, and to whom I owe a great deal of, uh, you know, gratitude towards, you know. And uh, one thing, both uh, Ron and Bob wasn't really a writer, but uh, Ron Haydock and Jim Harmon stressed to me was try to write, read a lot read a lot and see what other people have written and um, uh, and write a lot. Try to write something every day. And then later years, you know, I always had a hard time writing novels. I've, it's never been my strong point. And I've never really enjoyed writing novels, but I've done it. I've written certainly enough of them. Uh, and I got a, a, a gig to write a science fiction novel. And, you know, the science fiction community is a pretty stuffy community. You know, if you're not part of the I've never been part of the gang, you know. I've never been part of the actual uh, club, but I, I got it. wasn't uh, It was a a, a, a novel uh, called. It was bugged actually, and I sat down and I, I I really didn't know how to start or anything. So I I was friends with George Clayton Johnson, who had written a lot of Twilight Zones and a lot of pro science fiction stories and things. And I said, George, you got to help me out. You got to tell me how to teach me how to write a novel. And he said, well, okay, and he came over to the house, and uh, he taught me. And one of the things, you know, one of the mistakes I made, I had a, 
a, a scene in the opening chapter where somebody is trapped in a car and rolls down the window, okay? And I had, you know, one of these purple, prosy, typical amateur, too many adjectives, you know, gingerly, his, her, his hand gingerly reached for the, for the knob and felt the, 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 the whatever it was, and slowly, and, she, and he said, no, you, you look, you got like, like four or five sentences telling him, uh, explaining how, how to do one's action. Here's what you write. He rolled down the window, and that's absolutely <laughs> true. And writers like Earl Stanley Gardner and um, um, Ernest Hemingway, when I started reading some of their stuff, well, I didn't read Gardner, but I wrote, I, I sat down and read a lot of Hemingway, and his stuff was just really simple, straightforward, what was going on, you know? And I learned a lot from that. And um, so I learned a lot from um, Ron Haydock about, uh, and from uh, George Clayton Johnson, about not putting in all those extra adjectives and adverbs and things, you know? And there are these invisible words you can use. The invisible words are, said, a, an, and the. You can always say the something or other, or a, or an something, or or you can always say, you can say through a whole novel, you can say he said or she said, and nobody notices it. It's, right. It's just, you know, those are like invisible words. So I learned a lot from them. Oh, that is great. And how about you as the mentor? I'm sure you've mentored many people in your journey. Well, people say I inspired them. I don't know from from for what you know but um but if, if i did i i hope so. i if i could be an inspiration i think what i would i would I'd like to be uh remembered as is an inspiration for people not to give up i was mm -hmm. um some years ago about 20 years ago i was called by i got a phone call from my um high school in Chicago where I went, where I, my old high school, they wanted me to come and um, give the graduation speech, you know, and, and I, wow. if I, if I could just inspire one or two people in that audience to follow their dreams and, you know, make it, make it, make it happen. That would be great, a great feeling for me. So I got up there, they had it, they had it, it was a Catholic school, so they had it in the church. And I had to go up on the pulpit, okay, to give this speech. And I said, okay, well, first of all, I said, okay, I'll, I'll, um, I'll give it the speech on one condition, you know, you pay my way and all this. And I don't have to write it out because when I give a speech, I don't give a written formal speech. I don't have, like, you know, cue cards or telemarket or anything. I just make little notes um, mm -hmm. that I can spin off of. You know, and I look at the note. I said, I don't want to wear a cap and gown because it looks stupid. And so, and I don't want anybody to ask me what I'm going to talk about. And so they agreed to that. And so I, I went, I was all totally dressed in black, black shirt, black jacket, black. I mean, I looked like a, I looked like a hit man or something. And, <laughs> the, and everybody else has cap and gowns. Okay. We're walking down the aisle and as, and there were steps leading up to the altar area, which then led up to where the, the pulpit was. And the first thing I did was I tripped over the stairs and they almost fell down. So Ooh. everybody's looking. You know, I said, oh. so I got up there in the up there, and I, I thought I would start off with a little levity. I said, you know, I've given a lot of speeches, but this is the first time I've ever spoken from a pulpit. My first inclination is to take up a collection, <laughs> and there was just dead silence. 
And I made one, I followed that, I forgot what the follow-up was. But anyway, um, there was more dead silence. And the, um, the response, when I, I, I got into this thing about, you know, follow your dreams, if you're a good this or that, don't, you know, I, I mentioned that in all, they always tell you that, you know, you should get a college education. But in all my years as a professional, whatever, nobody has ever asked me if I even went to high school, let alone graduated from college. Anyway, when it was over, only one person came up to me and asked me to autograph a book. And the person who had arranged for me to come out said, uh, we we appreciate you traveling so far to give this speech. That's it. Nobody said, hey, that was inspirational or anything like that. So it really kind of laid an egg. But um, uh, I was trying to inspire people. Let's put it that way. And uh, you know, trying to tell them not to give up because, you know, you, when you're a freelancer and you're just starting out, whether you're a writer or an actor or anything, you're going to get mostly rejections. And um, yeah, that discourages a lot of people. I know one writer who wrote a novel, um, it got rejected the first time that he sent it out. When it came back, it went in the desk and he never wrote anything again. It might have been a great novel or, or there might have been a great novel some, you know, a year later. Um, so, you know, I just see too many careers going down the drain because people don't give it their best shot and, and keep at it. That, that's very true. Uh, back in the day when I had my cable show that I spoke about before, uh, I also mm-hmm. used to work in uh, human services. So um, I was at the time Thor the Barbarian. I, I was going under that name and I was doing a lot of things. And I used to give talks to inspire people and tell them the same thing, not to give up. And I would tell them, uh-huh. if I can find a way to make a living as a barbarian, and I'm Greek, so by definition, I can't even be a barbarian. Um, uh-huh. what Your dreams are probably not as crazy as mine, but if I can find a way to do it, then you could find a way to do you know, whatever it is that you want to do. And I found the same thing. Um, it, people would not give themselves permission to even try it out, or if they didn't succeed right away, uh, they would give up, and, th- and that would be yeah. Well, I, I, saved, I saved all my old rejection slips. And, uh-huh. You know, there was some of them. I mean, those, see, in those days, you didn't have to send anything. You know, it didn't have to be an agent sending anything. It could be just um, you could just mail it in, you know, with a uh, return envelope with return postage. Right. And I would, and, and the editor would respond, you know, personally. And one of the things I got, I, one of my responses was, come now, Mr. Glute. <laughs> you know, because it was, it was just an awful, stupid thing I sent him. And, but um, that would devastate some people. Um, I just kept plugging along, though, you know. Eventually, if you got the ability, you know, it's, it's going to happen. If you have the right. ability to perseverance. And you've got to let rejection roll off your back especially if you're just starting out, because um, there are so many reasons you can be rejected for something uh, that has nothing to do with the, the quality of your work or your worth as a human being. And I learned this. I mean, I learned tricks, you know, years ago. Uh, one thing I learned from Jim Harmon was when we were still sending out unsolicited manuscripts through the mail, try to gear it so... It arrives on a Tuesday through Thursday, not on a Friday or a Monday. The reason being, if the manuscript arrives on a Friday, 
the person who's going to read it is probably thinking about, you know, going home for the weekend and, uh, you know, enjoying himself and doesn't have time, so he just sends it back. And if it arrives on a Monday, well, they're just coming down from uh, having a good time, and they probably got a bunch of things that have piled up over the weekend, and um, they don't have time to read it, so they send it all back. And they're, when I was casting my first movie, um, we hired an actress, and um, then we, were, you know, we, we needed more actresses in the movie, more characters cast, and um, another actress came in who was a friend of mine, but she looked just like the first actress we hired. And these are like for major parts. You can't have two actresses looking the same or two actors looking the same. It, it becomes confusing for people. And she never understood that. You know, she always thought I just, for some reason, didn't like her, didn't, didn't like her performance or her audition or whatever. So there's a million reasons why. You know, let's, right. say, let's say you're an actor. You come in for an audition. You're a, you're a woman, okay? And the guy behind who's the casting director or the director or the producer who's ever going to hire you, just that morning or the night before had a big argument with his girlfriend who looks a lot like you, okay? When you come in, that's who he sees, <laughs> and you don't get the part. Or if you have, like, you just cast a male lead and he's got red hair, and then the actress comes in, a beautiful actress, very talented, and she's got red hair. Well, you're not going to have two red hairs, haired people, playing opposite, you know, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, or husband and wife in a movie, people would laugh at it. So once you understand that, that there are many, many, many reasons why people don't get hired for things or they don't get their manuscripts sold or whatever, it has nothing to do with how good their manuscript is or, or what they're worth as a person. You know, and once you get that, um, it makes life a lot easier. It makes your career go a lot faster. That's very uh, true, and uh, I guess people need to learn that uh, through experience and after constant uh, re rejections. But I found the same thing. Just don't personalize it. Uh, it might be that something better is right around the corner, and this person telling you no is doing you a favor. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. You mentioned a while ago about your, your television show. The exact same thing pretty much happened to me. I was a guest on a show called... Um, just comics. It was a, it was a public access show, you know, and then we were uh -huh. talking about comic books, and um, I was a guest on it. And I'm, while they, they were, I got there a little early, and while they were setting up, I'm looking around, I'm looking at the cameras and everything, and I, I said, I can do this. And within a few weeks, I had my own cable show on that same awesome. channel. Yeah, I've had experiences like that, too, where I saw people doing something, and I asked myself, I could do this. You know, why, why aren't I doing it? And then within a very short period of time, you know, I was doing it. Uh, the short story, the short chapters in the anthologies, uh, that was an example. Somebody uh, was describing it, and I was thinking, hey, I could do that. And they said, oh, all you have to do is just let it be known that you want to do it. And in a very yeah. short period of time, I had people contacting me, uh, telling me, hey, you want to do this, you want to do that. And, and I wrote, like, tons of stuff, or I polished stuff some old stuff and send it in uh, so now it's like well what do I want to write and I'm asking myself that question uh, yeah. so what do you like to write because you've written a lot of different uh, you know things uh, um, over the years do you enjoy any particular genre well I, I'll tell you I um, 
you know, I used to really love writing the superheroes, but I'm really kind of tired of I'm tired of writing about superheroes and watching superhero movies, you know, because they're all really the same story, you know. Uh-huh. I'm not really, I don't want to offend anybody on your end, but I'm not a sword and sorcery fan because, to me, they're all the same stories. But I, that doesn't mean I haven't written a lot of sword and sorcery and a lot of superheroes. But I get the most pleasure now from writing, um, uh, and I used to get, get it from writing, uh, like, semi-technical books on dinosaurs. And, okay. And, you know, we're doing the... The research and translating the the journals from you know different countries and all that. Um, I really like writing these creep stories, these six page horror stories that are kind of done in like in the EC vein or the creepy and eerie Vampirella uh, style. You know, I really enjoy those, and I think the stories I'm doing now for see, I started out my comic book career writing for the Warren magazine, Creepy, Eerie, and Vampirella. And now I, it's come full circle because I'm writing the same kinds of stories for The Creeps Magazine and, and Vampirus Carmilla, which are essentially, you know, um, homages or copies or whatever you want to call them to The Warren Magazine. But they're better. The stories I'm doing now I think are better than anything I did in the past. I, I don't I'm, – I'm very – I don't want to say paranoid, but I'm very um, – I don't want to be – looked at or considered to be like a has-been. I see a lot of my friends who were writers back in the 70s and 80s to, who are on Facebook, and the only thing you ever see of them on Facebook are pictures and things from the stuff they did 30, 40 years ago. I'm doing things now. I'm doing more things now than I did years ago in some respects, and that's what I want to be known as, somebody who's not burned out, somebody who's not given up the the ghost, you know, uh, uh-huh. is still working. And how about the, this talent agency that uh, you're a part of? Um, how did that come about? Well, um, it came about because I have a friend. I, I have a friend in Las Vegas named Steve Kaplan, who has Las Vegas Talent Agency. And I met Steve originally. He was looking for some investments, and um, somebody turned him on to my film company. So. Um, he, we originally met where he was thinking of investing in some of my movies. Well, that never worked out, but we stayed good friends. And I go to Las Vegas a couple times a year, and I used to go a lot more. I had more reasons. I had a couple friends who died there who are dead now. I used to have a girlfriend there who I don't have anymore. Um, you know, and then with this pandemic, it's it's not quite as much fun as it used to be because there's so many things closed. Anyway, um uh, but Steve comes up with these ideas all the time to expand his talent agency. And um, he knows that I know a lot of pretty models and things, and I also know a lot of horror hosts, TV horror hosts, and I also know a lot of um, scream queens, as they call them. So right. why don't we have offshoots of his talent agency just highlighting the, the horror hosts and the scream queens, and we'll book them for conventions, uh, trade shows, you know, but I'm based here in Los Angeles, so I just I just have because of my connection with the film business, I just happen to know more people than he does. So um, it's kind of sort of on hold right now because nobody's doing this is pandemic. Nobody's doing trade shows or uh, even conventions. Are a lot of them haven't you know most of them haven't opened up yet. So so we're just kind of um, 
<laughs> not a whole lot's happening with those uh, things. But I'm not a talent agent because you've got to be licensed to be an agent. I'm just kind of a representative. So if I'll meet somebody at a party or something, and I say, oh, no, I know you. You were in this you were in such and such a movie. I, would you like some represent, un, non-exclusive representation? And if we can book you at a convention or something, um, we'll do it. And it was going pretty well until this pandemic hit. Uh, we were getting calls all the time. So, so anyway, that make a long story short, that's what, what that's all about. Oh, that is awesome. I used to work with uh, Scream Queens back when I had my uh, TV show when I made my movie. And uh, Debbie D especially was in a lot of my stuff. She was in the movie as uh, the Barbarian Queen, and she was on the TV show mostly as that and some other parts. And then Debbie Duck, she was out west. Well, I, I, I know Debbie Duck very well. Oh, uh, great. I've directed, directed her twice, and she introduced me to Debbie D at a convention. We were all sitting together. But I only met Debbie D once. Um, uh, Debbie Dutch I know really, really well because I've, I've known her years and years and years and I got her work in other movies somebody was saying you know we're looking for like a scream queen or something and I so I got her booked in a couple of things before I became uh, associated with this talent agency oh that is fantastic they were great people to work with I had a, a great time and uh, between uh, filming scenes we had the most remarkable conversations it was really mind-boggling huh about what <laughs> Oh, with Debbie D, it was like philosophy and uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, comparative religion and <laughs> so we had this like barbarian TV show, you know, taking place in modern day uh, times, uh-huh. and uh, we'd be talking about stuff like that between the the scenes. So it, it was again, it was uh-huh. very refreshing, and uh, I got to know Debbie D especially. Debbie Dutch worked and lived in the, the West Coast, so I didn't really get to see her except when she was uh, here once or twice a year. Uh, but uh-huh. Debbie I got to see uh, fairly often. I had an event a few years ago called Mythic Atlantis. So I was attempting to do that, uh, and uh, Debbie D was one of the the guests uh, there. That's the last time I saw her. Uh, well, uh, yeah, we did a. I did we, uh, the three of us did a convention in Long Beach once. This is about four or five years ago, and um, I keep getting invited to those, but I, it, you know. It's a pain driving to Long Beach and parking and all that. So I I only did the one. And you have a cat. I have I have several cats and dogs too. Do you have any other pets other than your cat? Oh yeah, I've got three tortoises. Okay. Two, two lizards, different kinds, um, and a bunch of fish. Oh great. We used to have fish when we lived in Pennsylvania. We had a big tank, but then when we moved from Pennsylvania, we didn't like restart that in New Jersey. I've had tortoises when I was younger. Um, currently, we have uh, three cats and two dogs. Ah, well, I love tortoise. I love turtles and tortoises. I have a. I have well, two are desert tortoises. And they're just babies. I got them when they were about the size of a uh, silver dollar, and now they're about the size of a. Ashtray, I guess. I mean, they're growing. I, I got them about a year ago, and um, and then I have a um, a, re- a female redfoot, which is um, a, a type of tortoise from Argentina. Then I the lizards. I have a savanna monitor, and then they have what they call an armadillo lizard. I mean, it's not related oh, to an armadillo, cool. by the way, but um, uh, yeah, it's, it's my family, I guess you would say. 
then a cat is just a big black cat named Bela. <laughs> you know who? Yes. Uh, who did two movies called The Black Cat? So that's how he. He's getting pretty old though. He's he must be over twenty years old now, and he's still chugging along. That, that's okay. old. Our oldest is eighteen. Our oldest cat. And I've had lizards in the past. Uh, the last one I had was maybe three decades ago. No, two oh. two decades ago was an iguana, a big an old iguana. And, uh, years before that, I had a tegu. Oh, I had two, I had, sir, I love tegus, but they're yeah. hard to get now. They've been hard to get for the last few years. If I could get a tegu today, if one of these other lizards dies, and I have the tank empty, you know, I don't have any room to put another tank, but I will mm-hmm. definitely go out and look for a, another tegu. I love tegus. Yeah, but me too. They could be really nasty. Yeah, they could. They, <laughs> they could. could. He used to rub his uh, his face against my hand. And sometimes the teeth are so razor sharp, he'd draw blood, but it never drove him crazy or anything. Uh, his name was Thongor, uh, based on Lynn Carter's. Uh, sort oh, of yeah, yeah. Now, so uh, we're approaching the end of our conversation. We have around 10 minutes uh, to go. Uh, what are you doing that's new and exciting? I know that all your old work is being uh, published and kept in print, and that is phenomenal. Uh, and did you have a few uh, scripts floating around uh, for the uh, uh, magazine Creeps? Anything else new and exciting? Well, what's exciting, first of all, the um, you know how I said uh, if it's if it's something of value, it, it should be it should be available to people. This right. Jawbreaker novel, I wrote that novel originally on a typewriter in uh, around 1966. That's when I wrote it. And because it was set in the 1960s, it had a lot of reference, you know, myriad references to 1960s events and things and places and music and stuff. It just kind of, after a while, I just said, well, this is just out of date, you know, and I, I let it set there. And um, then a few years ago, I said, you know, the, the plot line is pretty good. Why don't I put that through, you know, right, put it through the, the word processor again and polish it up and... Uh, and and have keep it set in the '60s, so it's not like a, a update or anything. Because a lot of the things you could you just couldn't update. So um, I did it, and uh, this this publisher liked it, and um, so that's coming out. So that means that every novel I've ever written, um, and I almost pretty much every short story too, is out there somewhere now. And people can read read them, you know, and probably they'll be there till the rest, you know the rest of my life. I hope. That, that is again, that is phenomenal. I'm glad the universe is giving you that opportunity because, yeah, that that is something, you know, really, really great. I know you've inspired many people over the years, especially me. Uh, so it would be great uh, to be able to find your work without exhaustive uh, uh, Google search searches. Yeah. Well, it's a, like I said, if, if it's if it's any good, it, it should be out there. It should be published. You know, it it doesn't do anybody any good sitting in a drawer somewhere like like Jawbreaker did for decades. I mean, forty almost fifty years, I guess. Um, that's how long ago I wrote it, and um, it's actually <laughs> pretty good. It's um, it Jim Steranko. You know, who Jim Steranko is. Yeah. Well, he helped me a little bit because. I wrote a uh, – it was written like a serial, so each chapter kind of ended with a cliffhanger. 
Mm-hmm. And one of the cliffhangers was Jawbreaker got himself locked in a, a safe. And outside of the safe were three uh, gangsters with machine guns. And the chapter ended with them opening the safe and firing the machine guns into the safe, you know, <laughs> presumably killing Jawbreaker. But I didn't know how to get him out of the safe. And originally I had some kind of a lame, you know, kind of, it really wasn't a convincing escape. So I called Jim up, who was a longtime friend of mine. Jim used to be an escape artist, a professional escape artist. And I got his answering machine, and I said, Jim, you got to help me out. I'm not asking you to reveal any trade secrets or anything, but I got my hero in the safe. How do I get him out? And about 2 a.m. in the morning, I got a phone call, and I was screening my calls, uh, and I hear, you know, I hear this laugh, this guy laughing, and it's it's Jim Taranko. And he talked, he told me, he said, what, what brand of safe is it, you know? And he gave me all the details, and I got him out of the safe. So I dedicated that book to uh, Jim Taranko. Oh, that is a great story. That is awesome. And how I like can to, people... I like, to put, I like to put details of, you know, I... I don't like to. I didn't want to just say like after he got out of. The- no, that's a that's a great detail, and again, it whets the appetite uh, for more. Um, how can people find you and uh, your work online, and uh, how can they learn more about you? Well, well I'm on Facebook. I got a, a private and also a uh, professional, and my website www.donaldfglute.com, and there's links. You know, you can reach me. My film company is. Um, has its own website, which is pecosporn.com. And then I have a, a huge uh, <laughs> prehistoric website called Don Glutes Dinosaurs, which oh. um, it's not for kids, let me put it that way. Um, okay. It, but um, I spent the last few days going through that and making repairs. Some, something happened, and a lot of my links got broken. And so uh, you would click the link, and it would take you to some something that wasn't had you know just didn't make any sense so i went through and fixed them all and i hope they stay so if anybody happens to go to that website if if they find any errors or, or broken links they should please let me know so i can fix them so um i'm easy to reach people reach me all the time that i never heard of you know that i didn't know before uh, but facebook is easy you know personal message or my email which is um the address is on the um on my website, and it's, there's also a news section on there, so people can see what I'm doing currently. I have I have this 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 discussion, um, you know. I, I put that on the um, on my news section of of the website. Well, um, thank you. Is this going to be archived? Yes, it's going to be archived and available. The same link that we're using uh, uh, that I sent in the uh, description. Um, the same link. Uh, it's usually like 15, 20 minutes after we wrap up the show. Uh, it's available on the archive. Okay. Could you maybe just post on my uh, – send me uh, – if I have it, I have it. I, I, uh, just to play, to play it safe and make sure I haven't deleted it or something, if you could send me that link again. I will most certainly uh, do so as soon as uh, we wrap up in a few minutes. Uh, I will do that the first thing. I posted a link to your website, a link to your Facebook, uh, and a link to your dinosaur site. Okay, great, great, great. Well, this has been a great conversation again, you know. 
enjoyed it. This was um, a lot of fun. We talked about a lot of different things, I hope, than we did last time. I can't even remember what we talked about last time. Last time we we touched upon some of the uh, some of the same uh, topics, but you had different stories and you had a different focus. And both interviews are are awesome and inspiring. And uh, again, you are creativity unbound, so you definitely belong on this show. Um, I look forward to having you again. You have so much going on. Uh, please keep me posted on what's new and exciting that you'd like to promote, and I'll invite you back. Okay, I appreciate that. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Okay, and thank you, and thanks everybody who tuned in, whether you listen to our conversation live or whether you'll be joining us later on on demand. Until next time, this is us wishing you joyous journeys and amazing adventures. We're going to close with Brand Kardorian's King of Dreams to encourage you to dream and to follow up on your dreams. Yeah.